0: So, I just finished watching Chris Stuckman's review of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and I'm reminded about how brilliantly perfect Indiana Jones films are. They're absolutely the single best action-adventure films ever created in cinema. Bar none, hands down, period. End of sentence. The best. There is such joy and excitement, danger, and happiness that fill every single one of them that you can't help but have a good time when you're watching them. You just can't help it. It's that, it's that good. Rage of the Lost Ark was a perfect film, a flawless film first execution of what would end up being an amazing trilogy of indie films temple of doom was exciting and dark and dangerous and violent but funny sexy thrilling the last crusade was thoughtful and genuinely endearing with the father and son relationship but so incredibly, not just reminiscent of Raiders, but set apart from Raiders in its execution. These three films were amazing cinema. Every single time you watch it, it is a guaranteed good time. And I absolutely love being reminded of how genuinely wonderful they are. I love me some Indiana Jones. God damn, it's good. I just want to sit here for a moment. I'm early anyway, and just reminisce growing up within it. Indiana jo- first of all, it wasn't Indiana Jones, it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it was brought home by my stepfather on laser disc so that we could watch it for the first time as kids on our television set. Our stupid, tiny, like massively thick television set with this laser disc quality that could not be projected properly on this old ass TV it was color though so that there's that and I can't help but remember reflecting on how brilliant the adventure the love the happiness the terror everything in that film is just picture perfect for a film and they were fighting Nazis and I cheered when the Nazis fucking died And then, cut to years later, and we have groups of Americans cheering on Nazis, defending Nazi Second Amendment rights. (laughs) What the fuck? If I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is July 19th, and as of today, we have 14,495,639 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 606,474 global deaths. And I got a great show for you this week. That's right. in the devil's advocate, I'm posing a question. Is Satanism tied to humanity evolving on this earth? i.e. Does Satanism make any sense as a religion outside of the evolution of the human species on this planet? In the Infernal formant, I got two articles. Numba Oriented. comet Neowise. Ten big questions and answers about the Icy Wanderer. And here are seven things you probably didn't know were connected to slavery. And then the Creature Feature... I just watched this yesterday, (laughs) and it's bringing up all sorts of emotions within me from my childhood. Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. This is a documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street 2 actor. We're going to get into it, and it's going to be great, because if any of you don't like Nightmare on Elm Street 2, get the fuck out of this feed. (laughs) That's how I feel about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. We'll get into it. All right. So uh, I just finished up a book club earlier and uh, we're wrapping up the current book that we're reading. And we're about to leap into our next book, which is going to start on August 9th. And we're going to be reading Lords of Chaos. So if you want to get in on the book club, now's the time to sign up to the group on my website. You have to be like a logged in member of the website, but it doesn't cost anything. It just takes a little bit of effort in creating an account if you don't already have one and joining the group. Then I'll get your email. I'll add you to the email list and we'll get together and we'll talk about the book. It's going to be a lot of fun. Lords of Chaos is the next one. If you're interested, sign up. All right. So um, part of this past, well, today, this past week of uh, book reading discussions was uh, a ritual discussion from magister nemo 's uh essay collection, and what i didn 't expect i was incredibly excited for, but i didn 't expect it was that the the idea of discussing satanism um, specifically greater satanic magic, would still hold some excitement for me i've and you got to remember i 've done five hour-long specials with amazing Satanists, um, members of the hierarchy, the administration, about satanic ritual. And so I kind of felt like I already did everything that I, you know, said everything that needed to be said. And then I kept getting questions. And so I wrote an essay about it, a very long essay, with a lot of link backs to source materials to explain satanic magic. But I still kept getting questions and stuff, and I kind of got frustrated and annoyed that people still didn't get it. After all of this content that I've produced and put out, how could they still not understand or accept or grasp the concept of satanic magic? And then we started talking with a number of Satanists who all get it, and we had specifically different perspectives of the act of ritual itself. How the fuck could that be, right? It seems like it should be this universal experience, and yet it is not. And that is thrilling to me. So we had a very good discussion about satanic ritual. And I'm not done. I'm not done talking about it. I'm not done discussing it. I mean, I just had a mock ritual last night with a bunch of friends. It was really fantastic. It's literally a part of my DNA as a Satanist. And so... I love engaging in it and I love discussing it. And so I kind of feel like there's something else I need to have a conversation about. Um, So if you're a member of the satanic ritual group on my website, I'm opening it up. I'm willing to have a sit down conversation and just dig in to satanic ritual. Get down to it, you know, just hash it out, have a good, healthy conversation about it and maybe learn something. And that I think is the most important thing. But I thought I was done, I guess is the point of this. I thought I was done talking about it. Clearly I'm not. My appetite has been wet and I am rearing to go. Like, let's get into this. I love it. Okay. That being said, Joaquin, thanks for joining, man. Good to see you. I feel like it's been a little bit. Good to see you. Zachary, how are you, my man? Always good to see you. William, what up? Vasiri, I was just talking to you. Sean, how you doing? Again, Vasuri, My phone thought I said Siri. You got to change your name. I could move my phone, but it's easier for you to change your name, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, so Valeria, it's always good to see you, my dear. If any of you have any comments throughout the course of this discussion, I'm going to rely on you a little bit for the devil's advocate, so I hope you're rearing to comment uh, because I'm curious, and uh, you know that's what this is all about. It's about the discussion. Um, I welcome your comments. Am I zoomed in? I feel like I'm zoomed in on this. Let me see if I'm zoomed in. I am zoomed in. Yeah, there we go. All right. I don't know how that happened. Okay. Um, I was recently introduced to a new essay. uh, And it, it got me to thinking so here's the here's the deal. If you've ever sent me one of your essays, or one of your projects, or an idea, and you've asked my opinion, and I've given it to you, honestly, It's not always positive, because I genuinely think that if I just said, oh, no, it's great, well, that's no help at all. So it's not that I didn't like what you wrote or what you produced or what you created. It's that I'm always looking for ways to better things. And I do it with myself, too, so it's not like it's just external. Um, But that's how I see the world. You can present me with this glorious masterpiece, and I will still find something to critique honestly about it, because... If there's something there, well, then let's work on it, right? That being said, I was introduced to some new essays that eh, didn't really didn't really work for me. And then I started thinking about, well, why don't I just write essays again myself? And I've written a number of essays, and I was flirting with the idea of releasing my own collection of essays in, you know, a book form. Um, I kind of thought it was a little pretentious and overdone, and so I sort of dropped the idea altogether. But the idea... The 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 I feel like I have concepts that have not yet been shared in essay form that I have shared verbally through these shows that I've produced that could have value on taking time to develop them in the written word, right? So a lot of what I produce here is just me reacting. There's not a lot. Of, I hate to say it because it makes me look like a fucking idiot. There's not a lot of thought that goes into it. It's just me reacting to ideas, concepts, stories, entertainment. Um, when I sit down and actually conceptualize means of disseminating information, I take a slightly different approach, right? I like to take a personal element and expand upon my understanding of that concept and then hopefully wrap up with this global understanding for me and communicating that idea. Uh, and there's a lot of ideas that I, I've touched on in these episodes that I haven't really expanded upon, that I feel like could benefit from the act of writing an essay about it. And so I wanna know from you all, is it worth my time developing these essays? If it's not, I don't wanna waste my time and I'd rather just spend it, because let, let's be honest about something really quick. The reason why I do these shows is because it doesn't take effort. (laughs) Like I put together my show notes in the morning. I send out an email right after I'm done with them. And then I go live and I just sort of riff. So there's no real effort put into this. It's just me having fun. I mean, I do it for fun, but that's what it's all about, right? Essays, like actually writing, that's difficult for me because I don't fancy myself a writer at all. And so I take time and I think and I try to find sources and I try to expand upon source ideas and give an original viewpoint and it's it's not easy. That's why so many people fail at it. Um so if I'm going to do that, I wanna know if it's worth my while. I wanna know if you actually want me to do that. If it's something that would benefit you in some way. If it doesn't, I understand. If it does, well maybe I'll do it. So let me know. Let me know what you think. Um in the meanwhile, why don't we do a little devil's advocate? Thank you. I got an image as usual to throw up just for a little atmosphere. That's really what it is all about. It's a little bit of fun, you know? Everything in life is so serious and frustrating. I just have a little fun with a beautiful image. And that's actually the completely wrong image. <laughs> Let's try that again, shall we? Here we go. <laughs> it's on the earth. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? I don't know. Um, all right. Uh, Well, thank you guys for saying that you'd be interested. Uh, I wanted to talk about... And this is a concept, again, that I need to further develop. This would definitely be an essay. Um, But it's this idea that Satanism as a religion, because it is so tied with the carnality of the human experience, is it really relevant to anything else? Right? So, is it relevant to other creatures on this earth? Is it relevant to creatures that developed on different planets is it because they're not human and you know i guess it really comes down to how we define human and we can only define it in in our own experience in the now and in history so we are human creatures that evolve on different planets we would not call human right we'd consider them something else certainly alien. So would Satanism be relevant to them? And then does that mean that Satanism as a religion is literally bound and tied into the human experience literally on this planet and has zero relevance anywhere else and makes zero sense? Because, again, let's be honest, the doctor took ideas from different places, philosophical ideas, ritual magic and put it together and sort of crushed it under immense pressure to create that diamond of Satanism. But without those external sources, without that human experience, without being able to watch the hypocrisy of humanity, this religion wouldn't exist. So outside of that observational experience, what is Satanism? If you take the human away, if you take the carnal element, because that carnal element is literally tied to this planet and the animals on this planet and how those animals interact with each other on this planet, if you take that away, what's left? And I asked that not to present some sort of grand ideal, but to, to sort of shrug and say nothing. Everything about Satanism is about our species' experience with other life on this planet and each other. And it is a reaction to that, saying, let's not be hypocritical, but let's be honest about who and what we are to ourselves. Not externally. We can lie to whoever we want, let's be honest. And I find that fascinating. So I was listening to um, a podcast that was talking about aliens. Uh, This idea of aliens. And the idea of aliens actually modifying mankind in order to sort of speed up the development of mankind. And I thought it was an interesting idea. Again, just exploring it, having fun with it. No scientific fact or anything. But it, it made me start thinking about Satanism. And this religion that is such an integral part of how I view the world, that if you strip that away, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how I would be able to process reality, right? But the reality is, is that people have been doing that since the dawn of time, and you know, they turned into various religions or philosophies or drug use or whatever. Maybe they're just working in a field or, or hunting and gathering. But it's a normal reaction for the majority of our, the vast, all, from the beginning of humanity to now, we're a tiny, tiny little blip of human life that can even understand what the idea of Satanism is. And not even all of us do that. Um, and so stripping it away doesn't seem like it should be that big of a deal because all of humanity has already existed without it. And yet, it is very much like putting on lenses that correct bad sight for the first time when you identify and read the standard Bible, right? You're finally seeing clearly what before was just fuzzy and made no sense. So reflecting back on mankind, is that how everyone else has gone through life? It's just fuzzy, makes no sense. So they have to say, no, it was, a, I don't know, it was a lightning bolt throwing God on a, the top of a mountain. That, that makes sense. So, I'm I'm trying to process this idea here. (laughs) We, as humans, only experience life through our limited scope in our animalistic heritage, our lizard brain that is still very much dormant within us. If that is tied to the reality of life as we experience it, anyone else wouldn't have that because they weren't evolved in the same way that we were. Even other species on this planet don't act like we do. They don't evolve like we do. They do not rationalize and interact with the world like we do. We are literally the only species that does that. And so if we did find that we were created and that our experience was not out of a natural evolution of our environment, but a decision by some other thinking entity or species, does that mean Satanism is a manufactured fucking lie that only exists because of the way that our brains were generated, that our brains were designed to understand the world? And does that then invalidate the religion in any way? See, I like these thought experiments because, again, question, don't worship. I like to explore the idea. Is Satanism relevant as human beings? Is it actually meaningful? Does it have any resonance at all with the natural world that surrounds us outside of humanity? And certainly there are principles that resonate in nature that we see through other creatures on this planet. But we are the only species that we understand, that we know of, that engages with reality the way we do. And so is it just an accident? Is it just a a meaningless roll of the dice that we could even come up with a religion like Satanism in order to try to understand our human experience? Let me see what you guys have to say. Uh, Zachary, other animals have rituals. Any organism that has reactions based on habits will see a benefit from greater magic. I'm assuming that's what you mean by GM. Um, interesting. Dog, I would most definitely read. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you jumped on that. Um, I have a similar discussion with a co worker who wasn't a Satanist, as William is saying. We talked about how on another planet, all things Satanism would be have to be reevaluated. I mean, it is interesting, right? Like, the idea that th- these tenets of Satanism are very much reactionary based on what has preceded it. And so, if we didn't have the preceding experience, there would be no need to create this religion, to define it, to to distill all of these other abstract ideals into one single religion. I mean... It really makes me question. If, if, for example, Elon Musk, a brilliant human being, like him or hate him, you can't argue he's brilliant. He's done amazing things. If he gets his colony on Mars, and a generation go by, and that generation only knows life on Mars, they will not have any understanding of the human experience because they didn't have to smell plants, play in dirt. They can't. There's no oxygen. They won't be able to stretch their toes out and have grass blades in between their toes. They won't know the fear of being in the backcountry and not being the top of the food chain anymore, or swimming in a vast ocean, or taking a deep breath after playing a sport. They will have no idea about that. And that is integral to what it means to be human. And they will only know the rituals and society structures that are brought with them and then forced upon them in that microcosm of that colony. And so they're not gonna have the vast scope of understanding and experience and diversity of thought and ideas. Are they still gonna be human? A generation separated from their home planet, could they be Satanists? And at that point, if you say yes, is it just a philosophy? Is it always just been a philosophy? Has it not been a religion of action? What is real world accomplishment on a different planet? For the human species, it would just be merely survival, right? Survive as long as you can in the atmosphere that doesn't allow you to naturally survive. But if that is the extent of all your goals, is that really living? Is that really humanity? Are we simply insects that just stretch out to other planets ultimately for survival only? So the species can exist past our limited lifespan? Is there anything satanic in that idea? Is survival the core of Satanism? I would say no. I would, I would argue vehemently that no, survival in and of itself is not the core of Satanism. And so, again, I would argue in that example, Martians, humans, a generation separated from Earth could not be Satanists because they do not have the grasp of humanity that those who existed and grew on terra firma on Earth would have. I think it's interesting. All right, let's see what you guys have to say. Everywhere um, humans go, Satanism will go with them. As a philosophy, I agree. Um, the principles inherent in Satanism would certainly be adapted to suit other species, life forms, but in its present form, as it wouldn't have much purpose without humanity. Interesting, yeah. Rituals are meant to change reality, ceremonies to celebrate. I doubt few other animals meant to actively change reality. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. Uh, Ruth. Satanism is a created philosophy. That doesn't mean it's a lie just because only humans conceptualize. And then we go to individual truths or, or um, species truths. I, I mean, it, it is interesting, right? I mean, again, I'm a Satanist. So this is just a fun thought experiment for me. But I think it's worth examining because it, well, ultimately my goal of this is not to challenge the religion of Satanism is to challenge your understanding of the religion of Satanism. And I think that's important. Um, And I think the religion itself, as this amorphous non-entity, understood that in its uh, construction from the doctor, because ultimately we're reinforced with these watchwords of, of study, not worship. Right? Don't worship the religion. Examine what it means. So let's examine it. Uh, in the context of the question, Satanism is no different from any other human belief system. And you're absolutely right. I, I guess the only real difference in my understanding would be that other belief systems try to understand reality in terms outside of human experience. And Satanism tries to understand reality inside of human experience. And yes, there are other philosophies that do that. And I'm sure there's other religions that I'm not aware of that do that. But again, in my limited understanding um, that, that's how I see it. Uh, Zachary, every animal acts to change reality. It's a question of degrees. A hawk flaps its wings to gain perspective. A sperm whale dives deep to find food in a barren environment. See, that's romantic of an ideal. I don't necessarily think it's true. And, and let me give you a reason why. Um, we've raised chickens for years. Um, right now, we have eight different chickens. Right out of the egg, a chicken in an incubator scratches the ground looking for food. It knows that because of its DNA, not because it's trying to uncover unknown anything. It's just reacting because its DNA tells it, in order to survive, you are this species, you must do this. I think the majority of animals, we like to ascribe humanity or this idea of thought to a lot of animals. And yes, there are some animals that exhibit experience in their surroundings and curiosity, but not all of them. Definitely not all of them. I think Disney kind of fucked us over with that one. With (laughs) making animals cute and intelligent and talking and and interacting with humans in this, you know, thoughtful way. I I kind of think the majority of animals just react. They're lizards. Lizard brains. It's, It's fight or flight. It's survive. It's react to the environment that they're in, period. And that's just based on having raised animals and watching them and seeing how strange they immediately pick up on a species behavior right out of the egg like right out of it no time to learn they just know i'm hatched i need food scratch scratch peck scratch scratch peck it's weird um if musk brings human to mars they're still humans how long how long because again gravity i said that really weird gravity um, in the U.S. Uh, International Space Station, uh, you know, we've seen our bone density drop unless you actively engage in, in uh, habits that would simulate the same gravitational force or strain on your structure that you have naturally on Earth. So if your physiology itself changes just outside of our atmosphere or even within the upper atmosphere on another planet gravity is different, the air is different, your physiology will change. How long can you try to mimic the exact conditions of humanity on earth in an, on another planet in a habitat? I feel like there would be ultimately changes. Again, this is total speculation. I feel like there would be uh, changes. And, and that, those changes, that's evolution. And again, we can't think of evolution in terms of good or bad progress or regression. It just is based on its environment, its chaos. And so I believe humans would evolve into something different. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, At the core, Satanism, Carpe Diem, I think the idea of taking everything that is being able to experience in the world can offer and starving off or staving off the removal of death is more universal than we can imagine. Yeah, I agree with that. Your logic since LeVay was American that non-Americans can't grasp it. Yeah, I definitely understand that. That's a really good point. Someone who lived a whole life in a cold climate is no longer human if she moved to a hot climate. That's interesting. But adapting uh, to an environment is a little bit different than physiological changes in your body based on the environment, right? So we adapt because we grow accustomed to it on this planet, off the planet, it is genuinely a different different thing. And again, that that is the core of my point is is whether or not they cease to be human because of the physiological physiological changes. Who knows? I mean again it's speculation and I'm just spitballing here. Um based around the idea of the religion itself, not necessarily the future of humanity. Um and so I guess ultimately what I wanted to explore without going too long into this, I'm already half an hour in the show here, is um Is the religion of Satanism malleable to the human experience? Uh, So let me give an example. Um, uh, The Mormon Church. And I bring up this example because I was raised as a child in the Mormon Church. And when I was a child, um, black Americans were not allowed to be priests because the Mormon Church is racist. Uh, and, And then they eventually, because society changed changed their ideas and and they adapted to the society that they were in and said, okay, well, now we're going to allow black individuals to be in the priesthood. Right now, they do not accept homosexual individuals. Imagine that in 2020. Um, I think they will because humanity changes. The religion must change. Is the religion of Satanism the same? Will it change and adapt? So, because we see it as this carnal religion based on um, being true to who and what we are as individuals, uh, true to our animalistic selves, not believing in these mystical spiritual ends, but in the here and now, in rational thought rather than dreaming of what ifs as your reality. Is Satanism able? to change in different environments, in different times? I think it's an interesting question. And it's a question that I know was brought up once with um, uh, which uh, Simony Holt in one of the many episodes that we've done together uh, where she was speaking to Megus Gilmore and he had said right out front, yes, you know, if, if things change, Then Satanism will adapt to that because that is what is human is adapt. How much change completely changes it from what it is, right? So the human species was once five, as we understand right now, five different types of species that all evolved, interbred into one Homo sapiens sapien. We now see that as different than Denisovans, or the uh, Florensis, uh, or the um, um, uh, Homo erectus, or the, the um, Cro-Magnon. Like we, we see it as a different branch of the human species, so would Satanism be a different branch if it evolved too much, or would it still be Satanism? Again, thought experiments, not meant to be too serious, and you know, just just have fun with it, but I think it's worth questioning. What is your understanding of society? And, and here's the strength I think of Satanism, is that we have so many members of so many disparate ideas, social, political ideas, that I think this may be one of the only religions that can survive without really changing. Because it doesn't rely on individual perspective, it relies on human truths. And and I, I, I find a bit of comfort in that, if I'm being honest. I think it's interesting. Okay, adaptable. Yes, Mr. Victor Wicked. And it's great to see you, man. It's been a little while. Okay, so that's really all I wanted to sort of examine. As Shizam evolves, Satanism remains relevant as long as it continues to be about the individual. Hail Satan. Fuck yeah. Um, all right. Chew on that, let's do a little bit of infernal informant. up this image really quick for this first article. I love space stuff, and so we're going to talk about a little bit of it. That's right, Comet Neowise, 10 big questions and answers about Icy Wanderer. This is from Space.com. Now, this comet made its closest approach to the sun on July 3rd, but until now was only visible in the sky before dawn. Now, for keen observers in the northern hemisphere, the comet has been getting higher in the evening sky, sparkling northwest below the Big Dipper constellation, according to Joe Maziero, deputy principal investigator of Neowise, NASA's near-Earth object, Wide-Field Infrared Survey Explorer, the NASA Space Telescope that first spotted the comet. Now, it won't return to our skies for another 6,800 years, so go see it! <laughs> this is your only chance, and your your own generational, like, your, your own ancestry into the future, your own progeny's chance of seeing it ever, so go see this comet, people. Um, Okay, so here are the questions. What is Comet Neowise? Officially known as C2020F3, Comet Neowise is a comet that was discovered on March 27, 2020 by Neowise, the asteroid hunting afterlife of the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer-wise mission. Comets, often nicknamed Cosmic snowballs are icy rocky objects made up of ice, rock and dust. These objects orbit the sun and as they slip closer to the sun, most comets heat up and start streaming two trails or two tails, one made up of dust and gas and an ion tail made of electrically charged gas molecules or ions. So, can we see it? Yes, because it's especially bright, the comet is visible in the night sky with the naked eye. Do I need a telescope? refer to previous question. (laughs) Quote, The fact that we can see it is really what makes it unique, Kramer said. It's quite rare for a comet to be bright enough that we can see it with the naked eye or even with just binoculars. What does it look like in the sky? To those spotting the comet with the naked eye, without any tools or instruments like a telescope, it looks like a fuzzy star with a little bit of a tail. You do need to be away from city lights, though. How much water is in the comet? There is about 13 million Olympic swimming pools of water in Comet NEOWISE. Emily Kramer, a science team co-investigator for NASA's NEOWISE at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, said during a news conference July 15th. So that's a lot of water. Most comets are about half water and half dust, she added. Does it have a tail? Well, as comets near the sun, it warms up and material pulls away from the surface into a tail. Often dust is pulled away along with gases from sublimate, sublimating uh, going directly from solid 2-gas ice. This dust tail is the sweeping tail seen in most comet images. Comets also have an ion tail made up of ionized gas blown back by the solar wind. Researchers studying comet NEOWISE might actually also have a sodium tail. By observing what they believe to be atomic sodium in the comet's tail, researchers can glean keen insight into the object's makeup. How big? is Comet Neowise? Well, Comet Neowise is about three miles or five kilometers in diameter, which is reasonably large, but roughly average sized comet. How fast is Comet Neowise? The comet is traveling at about 40 miles per second. That's about 144,000 miles per hour or 231,000 kilometers per hour. Will it hit Earth? Have no fear, Comet Neowise will not hit Earth. Is it from interstellar space? No. Comet Neowise originates in our own solar system. To date, only two interstellar objects have ever been discovered. (laughs) Aumamao, I don't know if I said that right, and Comet Borisov. And that's really the article. I wanted to bring this up because this is the first time that we're gonna be able to see it as a species, that we understand as a species. Like, Sumerians maybe saw this. Maybe, ancient Sumerians ice age peoples saw it and now we get a chance fuck man that's huge that is huge we are getting to see history this is like game of thrones epic type shit like they in game of thrones that was heralding uh cersei not cersei but um it's been this long that i can't remember game of thrones characters wow the mother of dragons whatever the hell her name is um This is huge. Like, so if you want to see it, right? Right before the sun comes up, go outside. If you're in the city, get out of the city and look up at the Northern Hemisphere. And you're going to see, it looks like it's facing straight down uh, because the tail is being pushed from solar winds. But it's right there in the picture. I mean, that's what it looks like. It's just a tiny speck. But that tiny speck was seen by our species 6,800 years ago. And it will be seen again if we are so lucky to exist as a species 6,800 years from now. That's a big deal. I wonder how many uh, cults are using this as like their special whatever god or alien event that will cause them to drink a bunch of poison Kool-Aid. This is the type of event. Pretty goddamn cool. So keep your eyes open. And I mean, here's the ultimate reason why I want to bring this up. (laughs) We're living in pretty shitty times right now. It's not as bad as humanity has ever been. But as far as modern humans, we're in a really bad place. There's a lot of negative shit happening right now. Or (laughs) this reminds us, maybe it all doesn't matter that much. Maybe our little squabbles on this tiny little rock hurling through space are just not that important. And rare events like this, maybe that's what we should be focusing on like our ancestors did. Things that inspire imagination and excitement, a little bit of joy, rather than how much we fucking hate each other. So worth an exploration, I think. All right, this next article, let's do it. Da, I'm hitting the wrong buttons. We're gonna get a little bit heavier here not too heavy but heavier here are seven things you probably didn't know were connected to slavery this is from cnn.com throughout the south monuments and flags celebrating the confederacy are being taken down companies like mars and quaker oats are planning to change or retire racist brand characters like uncle ben and aunt jemima and popular music groups such as lady antebellum and the dixie chicks are now lady a and the chicks have changed their names slavery has marked Everything from the U.S. Capitol to the alcohol Americans consume. Here are the seven institutions that many people may not know are linked to slavery. New York Life Insurance Company. In 2001, New York Life provided the New York Public Library its archival records containing insurance policies sold to slave owners. Slave owners insured their slaves because they were property because they didn't see them as humans. And fucking companies insured them as if they were cattle. How fucked. Uh, Yale University. Ah, They're not the only ones. Uh, Yale's namesake, Elihu Yale, was a slave trader who profited from the sale of human lives. Many US universities also had ties to slavery. Harvard and Princeton had presidents who owned enslaved people. At public universities like the University of North Carolina and Chapel Hill at the and the University of Virginia, enslaved people worked on campus or helped build campuses. Some schools, like Georgetown University, sold enslaved people to pay off debts and keep the school running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all of you fucking people who say that slavery was not integral to to the founding or central in the understanding of the American experience in its founding are having rose colored glasses. If it wasn't for slavery, I don't know that America, and I'm not glorifying it, I'm not condoning it, I'm pointing out a reality. I don't know if America would be what it is today. And that may be a good thing if it wasn't. I don't know. I'm just saying that it's because of slavery, because we took one, portion of humanity and said that you are not human that is why we were able to and it's not just americans this is all human experience all human history that has done this but we're just rationalizing it within our own american idea right now uh csx transportation uh they own the railroad that was built by enslaved people the richmond fredericksburg and Potomac Railroad in Virginia, acquired by CSX in 2003, owned and hired enslaved black people from 1834 when it was chartered until the end of the Civil War in 1865, according to the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Jack Daniel's Tennessee Whiskey, now you're getting into some personal territory here. Though Jack Daniel never owned enslaved people, He did learn to make whiskey in Tennessee from an enslaved person named Nathaniel Nearest Green, who was owned by Lutheran Minister, according to the company. Daniel bought the business from the minister, then hired Green as his first head distiller. So, makes me want to drink uh, Jack Daniels a little bit, because I can respect that. You like what the man produces so much that you actually hire him out of slavery in order to be your master brewer. I mean, or head distiller. Wall Street. Before Wall Street became the world's largest stock exchange, the location thrived as a slave market between 1711 and 1762, according to JSTOR Daily, a digital library. In 2015, Mayor Bill de Blasio commemorated a marker to the enslaved people who laid the foundation for Wall Street. (laughs) Ruth... Uh, The White House and U.S. Capitol building. Oh, we're getting close to home now. Former First Lady Michelle Obama caused a stir in 2016 when she said enslaved people built the White House. She wasn't wrong. Construction on the original White House began in 1792. Officials planned to import European workers to help build the structure, but recruitment didn't go as planned. So they turned to black people. Free and enslaved, according to the White House Historical Association. The U.S. Capitol building was also constructed with the labor of enslaved people. The building's construction started in 1793. Like the White House, officials struggled to find skilled laborers, so they turned to enslaved people, who were often rented from owners. Congress unveiled a marker in 2012 honoring the enslaved people who built the Capitol, according to the architect of the Capitol. Interesting. And George Washington. Now we think we know everything about George Washington, but did you know this? Though George Washington's ties to slavery are fairly well known, the extent of those connections may surprise some. They surprise me. Enslaved people formed part of Washington, literally. Though folklore depicts Washington with wooden teeth, there's no actual evidence to support that claim. According to historian Alexis Coe, who wrote the best-selling biography, you never forget the first, a biography of George Washington, the first president's mouth was full of the teeth of walruses, hippopotamuses, and enslaved people. <laughs> Sit on that one for a second. <laughs> How did he get them? <laughs> um, Co said Washington also signed the Fugitive Slave Act of 1793, which allowed enslavers to arrest fugitive enslaved people and reclaim them as property. Because, again, it was legal at that time. Pretty... So it says Washington paid the enslaved people at an undermarket rate for their teeth. He literally paid people to take their teeth and and put them in his mouth. (laughs) That blew my mind. That's weird, right? So I, I I guess, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up is not just because there's so many people that say, no, slavery is not important to America. America would still be America without slavery. No, we don't know that because it wasn't. Now we can guess that we could get to where we are without slavery. We can wish and hope, but we didn't. And so we don't know if we could have. So faced with that fact... Slavery's still going on. So all of you that are up in arms, collecting your pearls, pissed off about people hundreds of years ago owning slaves, you're ignoring the fact that it's still going on. And no, it's not going on in the same way in America that it did earlier in American history. It is still happening. So if you really care, if it really bugs you, how about you look into it and do something about it? Participate in ending the problem. But you won't, because you don't really care, because you just wanna like on your fucking post, you wanna signal how important and progressive that you are as an individual. You would rather shit on founders of our fucking country who did everything they could in order to ensure that we could exist in a free as a society as we have, as free as it is, Meanwhile, it's still happening! But why should we care about that? Fucking hypocrites. All right, um, let's do creature feature because it's getting hot in here and I don't want to sweat too much more. Uh, Ruth brings up a brilliant point. Those Confederate statues were not put up after the Civil War. They were put up as a reaction to um, um, the civil rights riots and protests. They were meant to shut down civil rights in America, to intimidate and threaten Americans, not as a symbol of heritage or a a remembrance of the past there are literally terrorist statues to subjugate Americans that's reality alright, so let's talk about something a little bit happier but not much happier (laughs) Scream Queen! My Nightmare on Elm Street first of all I love me some Nightmare on Elm Street all of them but I cut my teeth on number two that's where I really... and I, I mean, I was, I was a child of the 80s. What do you want? But I always loved it, even though it's a flawed film because it's from the 80s. Most 80s films are flawed. Um, this documentary is about... Well, let me read you their, their intro here. Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, sets a record straight about the controversial sequel to A Nightmare on Elm Street, which ended Mark Patton's acting career, just as it was about to begin. Scream Queen follows Patton as he travels to horror conventions across the U.S. Each new city unwraps a chapter of his life that is met with equal parts joyful and bittersweet detail as he attempts to make peace with his past and embrace his legacy as cinema's first male Scream Queen. Scream Queens also finds Patton confronting Freddy's revenge cast and crew for the first time, including co-stars Robert K- uh, Rustler, Kim Myers, and Clue Googler, as well as Freddy Krueger himself, Robert England. Now, this was initially released April 5th, 2019. It uh, was directed by Tyler Jensen and Roman Chimienti, produced by Mark Patton, Roman Chimienti, and Jeff Harden. And again, it's a reaction to Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. So I'm going to give you a little bit of brief about Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and then round back around to this documentary so that you sort of have a little bit of context. So Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, the film follows Jesse Walsh, a teenager who begins having recurring nightmares about Freddy Krueger after moving into the former home of Nancy Thompson from the first film, written by David Chaskin, directed by Jack Shoulder, and stars Mark Patton and Robert England. So, again, Nightmare on Elm Street 1 was bread and butter to me. Like, that is my, it's my home feel-good film. I, it's, it's terrific, and it's terrifying, and it's brilliant. But what's so strong about it, and horror in general, is that it's almost always a female protagonist, a female hero that overcomes the bad guy, the, the sole survivor in the end of these films, right? They defeat, which is in contrast especially in the 80s, to this machismo uh, society that we lived in. Um, That being said, I always loved it. I was raised by women, and so I had no personal problem with women being the heroes in films. Not to mention, it was fucking terrifying, and I dug it, every bit of it. So when the second film came out and ended up being a male hero, it was a little bit different and weird, because even sci-fi films, Star Wars, arguably Princess Leia is the hero, um, Alien... Female hero, like th- these films that are, are are meant to be scary and exciting and fun and enthralling are, are led by the, the strength of women. And so to have this second outing be a guy felt a little bit off. I, as a child, never picked up on the homosexual notes. Never once, because isolated scene to scene all of that behavior existed, and so I, I never saw it as, as as a gay film ever. After having grown, watched uh, um, Never Sleep Again documentary, and then this Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, and seeing it through the lens of homosexuals and through the actors, director, and writer, yeah, I get it. I, I see how it was absolutely a homosexual film. And that makes me like it more because let's be honest, there were no homosexual heroes when this film was released. They were shunned in that time. In fact, when this was released and the AIDS epidemic started kicking up, that's what ruined every gay leading man's career and certainly what led to Mark Patton's career um, going down the tubes because he was the star in this film. And, and ultimately, he was gay, he had full blown HIV and AIDS, uh, his roommate died from AIDS while they were filming this, they were in the hospital. Um, this is a, a story of not just a homosexual hero in a horror film, in a time when that was not heard of and actively shut down in this society, demonized by the great Reagan, of all people. Um, But it's a survival story in an era of people that were literally demonized. And as Satanists, we should at least be able to understand that concept. They were demonized for who they were. Not for what they did, for who they were as individuals. They were not hired. They were blacklisted. They were condemned, lies were spread about them, it ruined their professional lives, their personal lives, and some of them actually fucking died from diseases that spread rampant because no one wanted to address the realities of sexual intercourse at the time. This made me love the film even much more through that lens because it's 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 literally a fucking hero story, not just a, a horror film hero story, but like a real life hero story. And so the fact that it ruined this guy's career is sucks. And I mean, he ended up seemingly happy in the documentary with his new life that he found um, in, in Mexico after he beat HIV and AIDS and after he beat tuberculosis and he finally came back around. But there was this really wonderful catharsis experience because let's be honest, the writer of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, David uh, Chaskin lied for years. Saying that, no, it wasn't a homosexual story. I don't know what everyone's talking about. Maybe there was some subtext that accidentally came in there, but I never saw it. No one ever saw it. The director, fucking uh, Jack Shoulder, lied, saying, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, they did it out of self-preservation because it wasn't popular or accepted at the time. But now that it is accepted, they're like, oh, yeah, no, we knew it. We saw it. Yeah, definitely. No, we meant to do it. Fucking cowards absolute fucking cowards that should never be given an opportunity to work again because they fucking capitalize on the suffering of other fucking people. If you as an individual cannot rise through meritocracy on your own without stepping on the fucking neck of someone else, you don't deserve to rise. Now, even though the fact I have to face the reality of this, they rose in spite of stepping on the neck of the homosexual community, And it ended up working in their favor. (laughs) Okay, you got the pass, because that's how history turned out. But moving forward, (laughs) rise on your own fucking merit. Don't step on other people in order to do it, you fucking cowards. But that's what was so great about this, is it made me see a movie that I loved from my childhood that so many people hated, and I never understood why. Um, Now I know if you're a bigot, then of course you didn't like it, because (laughs) it's very homosexual. Um, I didn't fucking know it. I still don't care. I still love it. It's a good film. And it, it, the thing is, is like, here's the deal. Biker gangs wore leather and chains in my memory as a youth, right? The Hells Angels. And so when they went to that transsexual bar, I didn't see it as a gay club. I saw it as a biker club. And I loved bikers. I wanted to be that sort of edge of society, dangerous guy. And so I was like, Fuck yeah. Leather and chains, fuck yeah! It wasn't until I was an adult that I was like, oh wow, that's really gay. <laughs> I had no idea. Slapping guys, like like rolling up a, a towel and like flipping guys in the ass, that happened all the time in fucking every uh, school gym locker room that I was ever a part of. Always. It was just, I, we never saw it as a gay thing. It just, it was what guys did. They fucked with other guys. In that scene, I could see how it's gay, yeah very sexualized. (laughs) So, you know, it's not often that you see something that you genuinely love in a completely different way. You realize that you saw it in an incorrect way. You saw it through your own lens, which was ultimately a lie. But to be able to see it in the true lens of what it actually is and still Appreciate it and love it. I think that's a testament to what it, the piece actually is. And I did. And I do. So, Fraser Revenge, fuck yeah, you're all my children. <laughs> I love it. I do. I really do. So good. Um, and again, you know what? That dance scene, everyone shits on him about the dance scene with the little popper, whatever. Risky Business came out at the same time, and it was Tom Cruise in his underwear, sliding around with sunglasses and a microphone, singing and dancing in his fucking underwear. That was, it was a normal thing in the 80s. That's what you did in the 80s. You always had a dance sequence. You had a montage scene. You had a lot of 80s pop music. That was the 80s. Welcome to life. <laughs> so it wasn't weird for me. It was just normal. All right, people. All right, what do you guys say in the chat room? You do need to watch it again, Clinton. It's fun. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not a classic film, but it's fun. Uh yeah, Judas Priest. That's a great example. Um, Who Left Rock Hudson in the Cold? Yeah. Yeah. You had no idea about any of this. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. What watch the film, then watch the documentary. I think I think you would really dig it. It's it's a good one. All right, anyway. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That's really all I had for this show today. Um, I am really sweating through my shirt at this point. It is so hot right now. I have a fan. I got air conditioning at my feet. And I'm still sweating. It's these goddamn lights that I have projecting on my face. Um, Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Taking time out of your Sunday. And uh, having some bit of back and forth with me. I you're what makes this worthwhile for me. So thank you very much. I do genuinely appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show, of course you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can sign up to the email list and get notified what I'm going to be talking about, when I'm going to be talking about it, and who am I going to be talking about it with. And if you're getting this as an audio podcast, I know you guys are getting it via audio because I can see the fucking numbers on my, back into my website. Um, give me a rating or review. It doesn't take any time and it does the show a lot of good. So do me a solid, will you? Uh, And that's kind of it. If you want to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, check out churchofsatan.com and read the Satanic Bible and read the Satanic scriptures. It'll do you good. (laughs) Thank you again so much. And until next week, Hail Satan.